Continuous improvement comes in lots of different flavors and styles. I'm Bella Engelbach, and I'm inviting you to journey with me to the edges of lean. Episode 92, Continuous Improvement and Getting Published with Carl Beckstrand. Are you thinking of writing a book? Have you authored a book? Do you wonder about the process of getting your book out in the world? College media instructor Carl Beckstrand is the best-selling author and illustrator of 27 multicultural, multilingual books. Carl is here at the Edges of Lean to help us take advantage of his lessons learned with writing and publishing. Carl Beckstrand, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thank you, Bella. Thanks for having me. Carl, tell us about yourself and a little bit about your life story. So I grew up in San Jose, California, um, very cosmopolitan area. Um, I've lived abroad. I was in South America for a couple of years on a church mission. I've traveled a lot, been blessed to um, see lots of different cultures, work with lots of different cultures. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in journalism and a master's in political science and conflict re resolution. And I have 27 published books. And I like to make them multicultural wherever possible. That, that's great. So tell me, the books that you have published, who are they for? Who, who's your audience? So I've written in lots of different genres. Um, I would say the majority of my books are for juveniles. I have a lot of Spanish-English bilingual picture books. I have a Western novel. I have self-help. I have short stories. So a lot of things. So and with 27 books then, have you published them in different ways? Some gone with a traditional publisher and self-publishing. Tell tell me about that. Yes. So um, I've worked with a couple of publishers early on on a couple of books and then decided that I had learned enough and had enough hard experiences with publishers that I decided to start my own publishing company. So most of my books are self-published and I also distribute a couple other authors. Okay. So when you say you start your publishing company, that is the company that's focused mostly on publishing Carl. Yes. Yes. That's okay. uh, Premio Books. Okay. So I know I know some people um, who listen to The Edges of Lean, some of them are, are published authors and, and many are interested in becoming published authors. Um, and the big question that people start with is, um, how do I get published? You know, assuming that you figured out how to write something how do how do i get published and so what are the big differences between working with a publisher and self-publishing so the big publishers have prestige they used to have a monopoly on distribution as well but they don't anymore um early on in my company i was able to get agreements with ingram baker and taylor Follett, the big book distributors or wholesalers and so the big publishing houses don't have a monopoly on that. You can be a self-published author and get that distribution as well. Um, there are pros and cons for both. If you want to be published through a regular publishing house and have that prestige, you'll want to get an agent um, because most of those big publishers don't even look at manuscripts that aren't submitted through an agent. So find an agent in your genre who's had success. And it takes a long time. It takes a long time to... Uh -huh. Get your book out to find an agent to have the agent pitch it to have the publishing house look at it and then even if they accept it it'll be another year or so before your book is out 
So the advantage to self-publishing is it's quicker and you control your own marketing, which is usually better than what the publishers do. And you control the content and you control the money. You, I mean, you don't have that middleman taking a lot of the money. Yeah. And I have to say, yeah, my experience in publishing a book was that because it was the first book and possibly an only book, who knows, I did not uh, know anything about the process. I, I was completely naive as to the process. And so it was wonderful for me to work with somebody else who would say, all right, this is what you do first. This is what you do next. This is, you know, this is how it gets uh, reviewed. This is how it gets copy edited. Uh, what I discovered that my big sort of aha was once the book was out there, um, the lot of the marketing really depended on me. And I yeah. was sort of under the impression that they would help me more with that. And um, and they didn't. So why is that? Why why do you think a, a publisher, um, you know, they're spending a lot of money um, to get books through their process? Mm -hmm. Why do they not really help with the with the publishing as much? With the, I'm sorry, well, with the with the marketing. Yeah, I think it's short-sighted. Um, I had the same experience. I expected my publishers, my first publishers, to do more marketing, and they did very little and and stopped uh -huh. after just a little while. And I learned that that's typical, that publishers will market a book a little bit at first, and then they will never market it again. And um, that's the key difference between what I do and what they do. And that is, I'm always marketing my books. In fact, I market my first book as if it's brand new today. It's 20 years old and I still market it like it's new and it's it's still selling. Wow. Wow. That's that's really interesting. So so just because I think because I think we also have the idea, you know, like the, the latest new book is the one that, you know, that that should be should be marketing. But you're what you're saying is you have a book that's 20 years old and um you're still selling it. I mean, you're still marketing it and people are still buying it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I just had a sort of an about that, Carl. It's new to those people, right? The people who didn't see it 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it's new to those people. They don't, they don't actually know. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it, it doesn't should, matter to them. I should clarify that um, it is expected, even if you get a big publishing contract with a big mm -hmm. publisher, it is expected that you would be the principal marketer because as the author, you know your book best and you know right. best yeah. how to reach the target audience. But it is nice um, when they help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about a bit more about just um, how prolific you are, Carl, and what inspires you to get a book started? What? How do you, how do you move forward with that? I, it's not something that I work at. I get ambushed by book ideas, story ideas. Yeah. They'll wake me up at night. They'll catch me anywhere, and they don't leave me alone until I write them down. I talk to many people, obviously, about publishing, and sometimes mm -hmm. they say, oh, I've always wanted to write a book, and I'll say, really? Tell me your idea. And sometimes people will say, well, I don't have one. And inside, I think, oh, because <laughs> for me, I just have ideas coming more than I'll ever get to. Uh -huh. Publish, uh -huh. but but then you're taking the, the next step, which is you're 
sitting down and actually doing something about it. So it's when you when when you have this idea, is it the idea for a subject matter, for a story, or for an audience? Or do they all come together? Yes, sometimes I get an entire story all at once. And sometimes uh -huh. I'll just get little snippets or ideas or or things that I would add to a story or that would enrich a story. Um it just depends. Sometimes I will have a, a concept come and I'll write something down. And you know, I have file folders full of ideas. And so uh -huh. if I ever if I ever do feel like I need to add something extra to a book, I can go to those folders and look through those things and and augment what I'm working on. Right. So so but but it sounds to me as if you know you've got that ideator brain, right? So it's gonna be those ideas are gonna keep on firing. Um and I think this I, I I do think it's interesting. I've had that same conversation with people. People say, oh, you know, I'd love to write a book. And then, well, about what? Well, I don't know yet. Which I have to, to be honest, was kind of the way I was too. But then when I really, um, it was when it really came to me, it was it was actually kind of hard to stop. I had to, had to move yeah. forward with it. Right. Yeah, and everybody does have a story within them, something you've experienced or learned. You know, uh -huh. you hear the phrase, make a message from your mess. Uh -huh. I like that. Make a message from your, from your mess. Yeah. So how long does it take you to write a book? It depends. Um, once I wrote a, an entire picture book in 20 minutes, but then, uh -huh. uh, you know, I just do you illustrate as well. Or do you work with an illustrator? I do. I've studied art, but I'm not, I'm not a professional artist. So I typically leave illustration to the pros, but I have illustrated a few of my own. Uh huh. Oh, cool. Cool. Um, but yeah, sometimes I mean, I just finished the self-help book that took a couple of years to write. It was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and do you is what's what's your process like? Is it the same for every book or no? No. No. Like I say, sometimes the entire story comes all at once. Sometimes I'll just uh -huh. have a concept that I'll just scribble down and then over time I'll add to it and and develop it and work on, you know, the beginning, a middle, and an end. That kind of thing make sure that it has that and then fill it all in and how do you know when it's done so yeah this this last book i thought it was done like eight different times <laughs> and each time somebody would proofread it or or you know be a beta reader for me and come back and say well what about this and i'm like oh yeah <laughs> And then I had, you know, four different huge editing processes with four different editors and um, learned so much, you know, from each of those edits and finally did get to a place where I was like, yeah, it's it's finally done. In fact, I was patting myself on the back the other day because typically after a book is published, I'll think of other things that I could have included. But this one, I think is because so many people helped me. I still look at it and say, yep, it's complete. There's nothing missing. This is the self-help book. Yeah. Yeah. And and what's it called? It's called Abundant Paths. It's an LGBTQ self-help book um, beyond either our thinking for fulfilling same-sex relationships. Oh, lovely. Lovely. And and so this this took you a couple of years to write. Um and so and you and you talked about um you just said four four editors for different yeah. editors so when you and these were editors as opposed to beta readers or um you know just friends you know friends you say yeah please read it and tell me what you think so these were this was this was real editing 
And real Did money. You ask real money, Lots I bet. Of money. <laughs> Sorry. If that so that's that's fine. But so did you ask them specifically to edit for specific things? Why did you choose four, decide to have four different um, editors work on it? Actually, I didn't. It's just the you process. Didn't. Yeah, I went uh -huh. to this editing company that was referred to me, and um, they said, "Okay, well, first you'll need an evaluator to help you make sure that the structure is good. Uh -huh. You'll need someone to edit the content, and then you'll need someone to do the line editing. You know, spelling, punctuation, and grammar." Um, and then there was the layout um, process so that oh, yeah. the book designer um, had to go through and make sure that it was looking right. Yeah. So, oh, so those were, wow, that's really interesting. And I think particularly because you, this is a book for young people, right? But um, it just, I think the book design is something that I wasn't familiar with. I've read a few books in my life, right? But it, it had never occurred to me that the design, the layout, the how, you know, how much space is on the page, the the font, the headings, so all of that could really make the difference for for some readers or for many readers as to the readability and the, the usefulness of yeah. a book. And a complete... people people really judge a book by its cover. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and so in each of those editing processes, then you said you learned something. What was your what was your takeaway from from each of them? Oh well, from the overall process, I learned to be more patient because each time, you know, when you have a book that you're going to market, you you have to make a marketing calendar and you set a date for release. Uh -huh. And and after I contracted with this editing company, I set my date for I don't know five months in the future. I thought that was plenty of time. Uh -huh. It ended up but, taking six or seven months to finish everything. And I kept having to push my release date out. And that was so, such a painful learning experience. But um, it was worth it. I mean, the input that I got from the editors, just getting their different perspectives, helping me to be sensitive to my audience, helping me to be clear and um, have a good flow. All those things were really great learning experiences. And that's stuff you can take to book number 28, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 So, and tell me about the bilingual um, books. Um, how do you, how do you do those? Do you find Spanish editors to work with? Yes. So I learned Spanish. My mom spoke Spanish to us when we were kids. She was uh -huh. a Gringo, but she, you know, loved, loved to st study Spanish. And that, I lived in South America for a couple of years and um, I'm nearly fluent, but I still have to have native professional editors make sure that my grammar and everything is correct um i don't you know you don't want to put a book out that's that's poorly <laughs> written <laughs> right right you don't want to have the you know the chevy nova um yeah <laughs> uh problem you know where you're basically saying the opposite of what you wanted to say right well, could you take us through then? We've we've so we've talked about what you've done and a little bit of what you've done about your your most recent book. But take us through what self publishing involves. And I would love if you could talk about the financial side of of each step as well, because I think it's important for people to understand that. Sure, you know, writing a book is free. It doesn't really cost you anything until other than time. Yeah, and other than time and blood and sweat and tears, <laughs> but um. You do need to hire a professional editor. Even, even though I have picture books, I still have people edit those. 
you've got to have a professional make sure that it's written well. If it's not written well, it just won't sell. Mm. It won't do well. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's the first expense besides time is to pay an editor. And then the real expense with publishing comes after it's out. And that's the marketing. Um, I've, I've spent money on marketing companies, some for good, some for bad. <laughs> I've paid for Amazon ads, which was a very painful learning experience. Was it uh, valuable at all to do that? Did it help? It did. My Amazon ads are now profitable, but it took a couple of years. So it was wow. a lot of learning cycles. And lean, we talk about learning cycles all the time. So you must have had a lot of learning cycles with that. Yeah. And in fact, to publish, um, there's something called print on demand where you don't um, have to handle books. You upload a file to Amazon's KDP or Ingram, Spark or Lightning Source. And the book doesn't exist until customers click on it and order it. And then it prints and ships to the customer and you don't touch it, but you get a royalty. And so even that process can be free. Ingram charges a little bit, um, but Amazon print on demand is free. So even publishing your book is free, but if you want it to sell, you got to market it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that, and so you see, that's where the, the, the big investment is. Um, is is in the marketing. What have you learned about marketing then in in doing this? And and so, this is and just to like rewind just for a second. What we're saying is, even if you publish with a traditional publisher, you still have to be, as you said, the primary market of the book. So, so yes. what what is what's what's Carl's? Maybe this is your next book, Carl's Carl's uh, ten <laughs> lessons on on how to market your book. Sure. So the first thing we've already covered is that you, it's well edited, well written, well edited. Uh -huh. um, the other thing, again, a good cover, a good descriptive title so people know what it's about and subtitle, um, the description, and then reviews. You want to have um, reviews. I've noticed a trend, you know, as my reviews go up, so do my sales. And and so when you say reviews, is that the reviews on Amazon or on Barnes and Noble or, or wherever the book is being sold, where where people are saying, "Yeah, this is a great book. I loved it. It was helpful to me. My kid loved it." Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's two ways to get reviews, and that's um, one you can solicit solicit them directly from individuals, uh -huh. and you can offer them, you know, like a free ebook if they'll review it. Um, and then there's large review companies um, like Kirkus, um, The Hornbook, Library Journal, Publishers Weekly. And those are often companies you have to pay to get a review for. Now, there's a, kind of a tricky thing with Amazon because they say they don't accept paid reviews. But what they're talking about is like if you go to Fiverr.com or some company in the Philippines and pay them to put reviews on your product, Amazon frowns on that and they can. They can punish you big time. Yeah, and and you can and it, you can actually pick those reviews out, right? Because they're often one review is very similar to the next review. They have the same misspellings, and yeah. and yeah, it's clear the they big, haven't read the book. Right, but the big ones that I mentioned, like Publishers Weekly, everybody knows who they are. Library Journal, The Horn Book, um, who else? Um, Forward Reviews. These big organizations. Um, are known to Amazon and those kinds of paid reviews are welcome. Because they know that 
the reviewers will have actually read the book and yeah yeah <laughs> and they're sincere and they're, they're sincere yeah so so that that helps people once they found the book on Amazon or, or Brad's and Noble or wherever, whatever, bookseller site, <laughs> decide is this the book I want to buy? But how do they find it in the first place? So um, Amazon lets you choose keywords and categories to put your book into the right niche, into the right, um, to the right audience. Um, they allow you to choose seven keywords. And they, those can be phrases. Those should be keyword phrases, uh -huh. not just one word. Um, and you want to be as specific as possible. And then also categories. There are thousands of Amazon categories, it seems. Um, but if you choose the the most relevant, pertinent categories, even with a couple of sales, your book can be number one in its category. And Amazon will will help you. <laughs> you know, uh -huh, they'll, uh -huh. they'll see that and smile upon you. Um, so choose your categories carefully and and be as narrow and specific as possible. And again, with just a few sales, you can you can rank in that category. Uh huh. And that and that individual category. And then if somebody's searching in that category, then that your book might pop up for them as a mm -hmm. as a as a possibility. You might get one of those customers who bought this also bought that. Um, right. Yeah. So, so that's uh, that's very helpful um, on the Amazon side. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that people struggle with, uh, and I know because I've, I've talked to people about this, is on, on the marketing side, when you're selling your book, you're really selling yourself, right? You're talking yeah. you're talking about, about yourself. It's not just your subject or your characters. You talk, you're, you're talking about yourself and, and selling yourself. When you started doing this, did you have any issues saying, hey, I'm Carl and I wrote this great book? Yes. In fact, I yeah? still struggle with that. <laughs> Do you? Um, in fact, every author should keep that timidity um, because your friends really do get get weary of you promoting your book and yourself. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I have to pull so if back, you want to keep know. friends, hold back <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, you have to be you have to be judicious. So uh -huh. like even on social media, I try to have like, I don't know, 10 social media posts for every one book promotion post. Because if every single post of mine was about me or my book, people would just yeah. stop looking. At them. Yeah, 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 yeah. But 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 you also you have to like as you said you you are the primary promoter. You're the one who's going to sell this book. Nobody nobody else is going to care about it as much as you do. So yeah. so you have to you have to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's other ways to market. You can do email campaigns. Those are still very relevant, especially if you are specific about your target audience that you're emailing you can do you do, keep it do you keep an email list of of are you i do i have a email lists of librarians of educators oh. of um, bookstores so and i try not to bombard them with emails i try to only email when i have a new release or something important uh -huh. to tell them about yeah oh that's interesting yeah so I mean, so so just as you would be marketing any other kind of product, you what you you want to keep in touch with, or at least know know something about who's in your audience and yeah. who who might be likely to to buy the book. And you can still write press releases; those are still relevant. That's free advertising. You know, if you follow up on a press release, you're more likely to get interviewed, you know, on radio or TV or for newspapers or magazines. Um, so that traditional advertising is still very relevant. Yeah. How much of your day did, does it take 
for you to do the kind of marketing you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when people... we're talking about cost, folks, so let's, let's talk about because time is money. Let's let's yeah. talk about that. Yeah. When people learn that I'm a writer, they imagine me sitting at my desk all day writing stories. It's really a couple of hours of writing every day and maybe four or five, six hours of marketing. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. That, wow. That is a really, yeah, That that's a that's a proportion that is uh, quite astounding, I think. And, well, and I I'm, I'm sorry. I'm more heavy of a marketer than the average author. The average author does maybe 60% writing, 40% marketing. What is it? Yeah. But it just, again, for those of you who are listening and thinking about, gee, I'd love to write a book. Um, a book is great knowing that people are reading it and learning from it and having that mental conversation with you and perhaps even a real conversation with you. There's nothing so much fun as having someone actually reach out to you and say, hey, I read your book. I love it. And and I'd like to talk about it some more. In order for those things to happen, they have to know about the book. Right. And and so as you're thinking about I'd love I'd love to have that book. Um also be then be thinking about, well, what are you gonna do to make sure that people um who would love to have the book that you would love to write are going to know about it and be able to find right. it and buy it and and get yep. it from you. Yeah. Yeah. Very important things to think about. So we talked a little bit before about some of the the what well, we in lean were called the learning cycles of um of, of marketing as you as you learn about marketing and particularly when you were talking about advertising on Amazon. Do you have um in your mind um a learning a learning process? How do you how do you look at things? Do you look at things as experiments or how do how do you think about this? Boy, you know, that's an excellent question. It's funny because when I was a kid, I didn't like math. I wasn't good at it. Uh -huh. There were certain things that I just avoided because I wasn't good at them. Um, and thank heaven, my my brain, I don't know, developed a little bit more as I became an adult. And I found that as I tried new things, I was able to do them. I'm, I'm certainly not excellent in many things, but I feel competent in many things. So I'm my own accountant. I'm my own marketer. I'm my own. Yeah. I'm my own legal counsel, which is kind of scary. But um, but yeah, um, you can you can develop skills, and where you don't have the skills, you can also hire someone right, to do right. what you don't know how to do. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. Well, I'm just saying. So every time you try something, right? You. There's a possibility that that your hypothesis about how it was going to work is correct or it's not correct, right? right? And I think for some people, they go into that, um, they try something, it doesn't work, and their reaction is, is, oh, my goodness, it didn't work, I was an idiot, I'm a terrible person, or they maybe shift to blame and say, well, you know, somebody else screwed this up, you know, so on and so forth. Um and so it feels like failure, but the the other approach is then how do do I look at this as well? I've never done this before. I don't know exactly how it's supposed to work. I don't know the circum the whole environment in which I'm doing this. I mean, this was clearly you going into Amazon and and you know having ads on Amazon. That's uh, yeah. that's a you know probably a lot of unknowns there. Therefore. I may be right or I may be wrong. If I'm right, yay. If I'm wrong, 
Wait, that's awesome because I learned something. Um, yes. And that's a different, you know, that's a, that's a, in, when we talk about in lean thinking, we talk about, um, and we talk about continuous improvement. It's a lot about that. It's like saying, well, we're not like setting out to deliberately fail and make mistakes that we already made those mistakes. We're not going to remake those mistakes, but we know that not all of our mental hypotheses are correct. And yeah. we're going to learn from the ones that are wrong and then just go and, you know, try something else. Um, and so I was wondering, have you, do you think about these, all these things that you try in that way? I'm just curious. Um, yes, lately I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I, say, when I say Amazon advertising was a painful experience, it really was, but it's true. Yeah. I learned a lot. Um, and I think it's extremely rare to find someone who succeeds on their first try at anything. And that when you see a successful person, it's because they have a lot of failures under their belt. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's true. And failures that they've learned from, right? Because because if you you can certainly experience failure and then you know shift into blame or shift in you know what whatever some other frame of mind and then not learn from it, um, right? And not not try the next thing. Yeah. So and, and just it's interesting to me to because just because. One of the things about this particular podcast, The Edges of Lean, is not just about talking to people who, you know, practice lean thinking and do continuous improvement as, a, um, you know, an, an approach that they've learned or they've been trained on, but to talk to people like you, Carl, who are doing things perhaps they've never done before, um, you know, getting better and better at them each time and finding, well, how do you think about that? What, you know, what is, what is your approach? How do you, how do you get from, I don't know anything about this to, hey, I finally accomplished it. We're living in a wonderful age where you could just go online and look up something you don't know. Yeah. You know? And um, yes, you do want to have a little bit of wisdom because uh, there are some things that you you really should consult a professional about. For example, I said on my own legal counsel, but I, sh I should also add the caveat, <laughs> important, important caveat, that I have in the past picked the brains of of lawyers uh -huh. to make sure that I wasn't putting my whole livelihood in jeopardy, you know. Right, so right. There are occasions based on the stakes, I guess, where you do want a professional and and are should even be willing to pay them for their services. As as you were talking about with editing. And that's and having that outside, and particularly having that outsider come in and look at something from a different perspective from your own perspective. That's Right. That's 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 valuable and over and above the the skill that they bring as well. That it's that extra perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So. So um, tell me also, uh, you when you I, I'm curious about when you write for young people for children, mm -hmm. uh, and how when you say picture books, you, in that case you're probably talking about very small children. Very young. Do you include kids in your beta readers? Oh, you know, I've never been asked that. And I'm trying to think. I think early on I did have my uh -huh. nieces and nephews um, read my books and give me feedback. And they're all adults now. So uh -huh. so they grew out of that role. Yeah. Um, you know, that's an important question. That's Bella, you've made me reevaluate my process because, um, yeah, if the kid doesn't like it, 
it's not going to do well. Um, I actually have tended to write for the parents or for the adults uh-huh. that are the child because I think everybody who's ever read a boring book to a child knows how much torture that is. Yeah. And particularly uh, when they want the book reread. Yes. To them. And so I always try to make sure that what I have in my book is not going to put the adult to sleep. <laughs> you know, I even put little things in there that only adults will get. <laughs> So that's uh, that's what my my son and daughter-in-law love about the TV show Bluey, which is a cartoon about I guess it's about some kind of it's a dog family in Australia. I've actually never watched it, but they tell me how much they love this the the things that are in there that are for the adults that yeah. go right over right over the kids head. And I totally appreciate that because I I remember reading to my kids and there were just some books that's just like I cannot stand this book. And it, sometimes they were just badly written, right? They were hard yeah. to read aloud because they had no I think the author had never actually tried to read them aloud. aloud. Yeah. yeah. And there were other books that were just, you know, that rolled off the tongue and were easy and easy for the kids to memorize and they could they pretend they were reading them themselves and those are the books that we really did read over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I I uh, I appreciate that that you that you um you think of the parents. And I think the parents are the purchases, you know, in yes. most cases, right? Yeah. yeah, it's funny. As an author of children's books, I, my target audience is parents, educators, and librarians. Uh huh. My target audience isn't children. But you're right. I should keep them in mind and make sure that they like the book, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, that would be something you'd find out, too, after you published it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love the book when my kid hated it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, d- I doubt that's the that's the case. When when you're writing a book for for young people or for children, do you recall young Carl? Is that is that in your mind? Oh yeah. In fact, yeah. many of my books are written from my own experience. The first book I ever wrote, "Sounds in the House: A Mystery," is all the things that I experienced as a kid that would scare me at night, you know, or keep me awake. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so you really were in the mind of the child. Um, when you wrote it yeah I hope I was yeah yeah Carl what what do you see I'm asking you to like you know look into your crystal ball a little bit what do you see happening as we move forward into this world of self-publishing of the of the of the publisher on demand i'm not going to ask you about ai because that's a whole other that's a whole other um, oh boy. Yeah. story there I, I bet there's ai reviews out there though um, i'm sure that there are already ai is um, writing books now oh yeah 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 but what what do you what do you think is going to be happening next as um and publishing wow. um i think self-publishing exploded a few years back uh-huh. you know with the new technology available and so everybody and their brother published a book and i think it's going it's going to calm down a little bit and the quality is already improving big time because people who have hard, had hard knocks in writing their own book and publishing or marketing their own book have learned a few things uh-huh. you know learned what sells what audiences like and so i think the options are only getting better um and so we're not totally buried with mediocrity i think really fine writing is out there and it's not as hard to find as it was a few years ago so 
technology is changing things a lot too. Um, I do not see um, children's books, for example, doing well because of children. Only I, th- I see children's books only surviving if um, adults are promoting them actively with kids, you know, educators, librarians, parents. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, I only see them used because an adult says, this is something that is worthwhile. Let me show you how it's worthwhile. Yeah. Or even, yeah, even how do you, how do you interact with it? How do you, how do you do right. it? Yeah, I, I actually, had a, I was having a conversation with my grandkids yesterday and I was um, asking them, you know, bunch of strange questions and one of the questions I asked them was about book banning and about the library at their school and I I said so uh what do you think about the library do you uh do you think that there are books that they should not allow to have in the library they both said oh no absolutely not so all the books should be in the library and and my grandson who's nine said so there should be more books in the library and my granddaughter said something that was even more interesting um, uh, this is what you get with this podcast, Grandma Stories. She said, there should be more old books in the library. She said, people, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. yeah. She said, she said, people like to take out the new books. She said, but I like the old books. They have good stories. The classics. And, yeah. And I don't know, and for the mind of an 11 year old, exactly what she means by an old book. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't think she's talking about uh, Shakespeare, but, um, but that was just a really interesting comment. But yeah. they, you know, for them, going to the library is like the best one of the best parts of the week, and they they really look forward to it. And I have kind of a double opinion, a two minded opinion on the book banning. I think book banning is always a bad idea, um, but I think people are unaware that um, libraries have always banned. That's the wrong word. Selected. They've curated. They've curated. They're curating. Yeah. Yeah. That's and what a librarian does. Yes. Yeah. And schools yeah. and libraries and even families um, naturally omit some books by the books that they choose. You know, yeah. they have limited budgets, limited space. Yeah. So um, in publishing, we know that a bad book will die by itself. So there's mm-hmm. no past laws or, or policies that restrict books because those bad ideas will just die they just do yeah yeah but it's really it's really budgets and space that limit what's chosen and priorities you know the priority is i want my child to learn about this more than i want them to learn about that right yeah 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 um, yeah when you have a nine-year-old who all he wants to do is read about dinosaurs <laughs> yeah. I, and i actually think that's okay you know let him read about dinosaurs until he's had enough and then he'll find something else yeah. To read. Yeah. Yeah. Or he really, yeah, maybe he really will become a paleontologist. Who knows? Anyway, enough grandma stories. Um, yeah. So Carl, how can people find you if they want to they want to have more of a conversation with you? So the easiest way is to just Google Carl Beckstrand, Carl with a K. Carl with a K. My books are on Amazon, Walmart, Target sites, and then my website is premiobooks.com. Okay. Can you say that again one more time? Premio Books. It's P as in Paul, R-E-M-I-O books.com. Premiobooks.com. That's great. Wow. I, I have to say that um, it's it's really a pleasure to talk to someone who um, has found the thing that they love to do and is um, is doing it and keeps on doing it. So congratulations on that. 
Thank you. Tell me, Carl, what would be your one piece of advice for a young person starting out? As a writer or? Yeah, your choice. You tell me okay. what you want to. Gosh. Gosh, your one piece person, of advice. I would say you are capable of much more than you know. And it's just a matter of experiencing things and finding out where your skills and talents are. Um, like I said, you know, I thought I was bad at math. I'm not. I just yeah. had have success at trying it, you know. Uh -huh. so try a lot of things and you'll find your strengths. Try a lot of things and you'll find your strengths. That's great advice. And that's great advice for anyone, right? So even even people who are who are further along in life, there's always something else to be tried. I think um, you know, your your example of, you know, just uh, try it. Um, um get consult some expertise when you need to. But uh, there there are a lot of things that we're all capable of. Wow. Well, Carl Backstrand, thank you so much for traveling with me to the edges of lean. Thank you, Bella. It was a pleasure. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Carl Beckstrand for being my guest on The Edges of Lean. What did you learn from this conversation? What ideas did it spark for you? We would love to hear from you. Find Carl at premiobooks.com or on Amazon, or you can connect with Carl on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or check out my author page on Amazon and comment wherever you watch or listen subscribe and tell a friend about the edges of lean please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean there's a lot to learn and check out my friends in the lean communicators community at leancommunicators.com you'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week the edges of lean is written and produced by bella engelberg with support from podcast inc this is a lean for humans production